Walter Isaacson, the former head of CNN. He's written biographies on a number of geniuses who have changed the world, from Leonardo da Vinci to Albert Einstein to Steve Jobs, and now Elon Musk in a brand new book out today, 615 pages after trailing, shadowing Elon Musk for two years. And I have to say, just for anybody who's afraid of the size, you write it in kind of like bite-sized little, little stories, so nobody should be afraid that they can't read this. It's, it's very digestible. Thank you very much. It's a rollicking tale, and he's doing, as you just said, six or seven things at once. So you got to interweave the tapestry with some of these stories. So let's start at the beginning, because he grew up in, in South Africa. His father was brutal. The culture there at the time did not help. Going away to this camp where literally kids, <laughs> yeah. every, every couple of years, one of them would die, and if one of them would be killed. His father's influence might be responsible from, for some of the darker sides of his personality. Tell us about that. Absolutely right. I mean, he grew up, you say, about that wilderness camp. First time he went there, he's a scrawny, awkward kid, beaten up all the time. They, uh, they took his food, loses a lot of weight. But the next time he goes, he's gotten bigger. He's learned a little judo. And he said, they'd still beat me up, but I learned to punch him as hard as I could in the nose, and then maybe they'd have second thoughts. And almost that's a metaphor for the pugnaciousness that you see in him now. But when he got beaten up at school once and so bloodied he had to go to the hospital, the scars were actually worse when he came home and his father made him stand in front of him and berated him for more than an hour, calling him stupid, saying it was his fault, taking the side of the person who beat him up. So there are lots of demons dancing around in his head, and I show how the demons lead to a dark side of him, almost a demon mode, but also how those demons are sometimes turned into drives, drives that have allowed him to do things uh, that others haven't been able to do. You see him on, on Twitter or X quite a bit punching down, attacking Correct. people who are weaker than him, who are less powerful than him. He goes after the trans community. He platforms mm -hmm. white supremacists. Why does he do that? You know, he's had an addiction to Twitter and a pugnaciousness and an impulsiveness that sometimes immature and juvenile, sometimes just mean and cruel. And I think, you know, Twitter is like a flamethrower for him. And you're right. Sometimes he not only allows people with fringe views back on, but he amplifies them. He engages with them. And it's uh, changed Twitter. I mean, you and I used to be on uh, a lot with our friends who got our little anointed with blue checks. And it was a uh, you know, sweet conversations, and now it's a more pugnacious place, but it's also a place where more voices are being heard. From an early age, especially once he left South Africa as a teen for Canada and then the U.S., he had to, he had to drive to do something. Um, he found a purpose in trying to get humans to Mars, and, mm -hmm. and he still thinks for humans to survive that we need to be able to be a multi-planetary species. You know, he's driven by three things, and that's the first of them. And it sounds strange. He talks about human consciousness being so rare and that if we don't become multiplanetary, uh, human species may get wiped out someday. And I used to think the first 10 times I heard him say it, it was a type of pep talk you give at, you know, uh, team building meetings or on podcasts. But it's a kid who had read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, uh, to the Galaxy, once too often. I actually think he truly believes that engaging in space travel is a mandatory, adventuresome thing that humans need to do.
He made his first big waves in the tech world when he helped to create pay, PayPal with uh, Peter Thiel and others. He, he wanted to call it X. That's going to come back a bunch of times in his life, X. Um, but Man, then he, hey, th all the time. You know, then he kept his desire to leave Earth and he founded SpaceX. Um, you, you lay out throughout the book how Musk demands what feel like unrealistic goals and deadlines to his staff. You have this whole conversation um, with one of his former uh, colleagues about what you call or what he calls the asshole factor, pardon my French, I'm just quoting the book, <laughs> about whether or not it's all part of who he is and that part of his personality cannot be removed from the part that actually succeeds. I mean, SpaceX now does function as kind of a private arm of NASA, bringing people and supplies to the space station. Do you think it is part of him? I mean, Thomas Edison was no picnic either. You know, John McNeil, who once served as president of Tesla under uh, Musk, said that to me. He said he's a total asshole at times. He doesn't have empathy. But that drives things, and it gets things done. And he said, I'm not sure that's a price worth paying. And he said, maybe it is. Maybe if it gets his electric vehicles. But then John McNeil also said, I wouldn't want to be that way. So I tell the story in the book. Obviously, readers are going to have to decide. Anything a biographer does, whether it's of Thomas Jefferson or James Watson or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, you'll see the driven and dark strands. And the question is, how tightly are they interwoven? Can you eliminate, could you have eliminated the dark strands of Elon Musk and still have that whole tapestry? And that's what the book uh, explains. Walter, authors, journalists generally do not like to be part of the story, but you have now acknowledged that you're going to have to correct one portion of the book that over the weekend I asked mm -hmm. some public figures about. So let's just dive into this. You, you write in the book that Ukraine uh, last fall was going to attack the Russian Navy uh, near Crimea and was going to use uh, Musk's Starlink to help guide its sea drones. You, you wrote, quote, throughout the evening and into the night, Musk personally took charge of the situation, allowing the use of Starlink for the attack he concluded could be a disaster for the world. So he secretly told his engineers to turn off coverage within 100 kilometers of the Crimean coast, unquote. And then, uh, obviously, the, the sea drones <laughs> didn't work. Tell us what exactly uh, is going to be corrected and, and what the reality, what the accurate story is. Absolutely, and thank you for asking, because that night he was in a real high state of anxiety that this could cause World War III, could cause a nuclear response. And he told me, we are not allowing Starlink to be used for this drone sub-attack. And I thought and wrote that man, he turned it off that night. And later he said to me, no, it was already turned off. I just reaffirmed our policy. And so... Instead of uh, turning it off that night, he just reaffirmed that it had been turned off. It's called geofencing. And what they had done is within 100 kilometers of the Crimean coast, it had geofenced so that Starlink would not work. It would not enable this. But the Ukrainians didn't know. And I made the mistake of thinking that decision had been made that night. In fact, the decision, the geofence, had been made before he just reaffirmed it that night. But it does get into the question of should he allow, should he have allowed Starlink to be used for the sneak attack on the Russian fleet in Crimea? And by the way, should he be the one to have the power yeah. to make that decision? Right. And his fear was that uh, so he, he, he was convinced that some Russian official had told him that uh, Crimea was a red line and they would use nukes, although obviously the Russians are constantly mm -hmm. threatening to use nukes. But as you note, the question 
is Elon Musk the one that, that gets to make that decision? He, he obviously was, practically speaking, but, but is that right. how the world he is made, supposed to function? Right, and uh, you know, he made that decision that night, which is don't allow it to be used for this drone attack. And so that's the essence of it. And the question is, you know, should he have been given that power? Well, first of all, uh, no, probably. I don't think an ordinary citizen should have that much power. And I think he finally comes to that conclusion. I asked him that night, have you talked to Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor? Have you talked to General Mark Milley, head of the Joint Chiefs? He said, yes, I'm in communications with him. And well, the way they finally resolve it, because even he feels this is too much of an onus on him, is that he will sell some of the Starlink services, some of the Starlink dishes. He had been donating them all to Ukraine, but he would sell some to the U.S. military and intelligence services and even create a military model called Star Shield. And now the U.S. government gets to make those decisions, mm -hmm. and it's not on him. Let's go back to Twitter. There were a few reasons that Musk wanted to buy it. First, he had a lot of cash on hand. Second, yeah. he liked the product. He's addicted to Twitter. Uh, third, there's a lot of user data to be gleaned from Twitter. And finally, uh, he says he wants to defend speak from what he calls woke culture. And you write in the book, quote, there was an oddness to his newfound anti-woke fervor and occasional endorsements of alt-right conspiracy theories. It came in waves like his demon mode personality. It was not his default setting, unquote. So how do you see his takeover of, of Twitter, or X, as he now calls it? It's lost a lot of value. And one of the other things he was wanting to do when he did it is we talked a moment ago about PayPal, his original company called X.com, which was going to be a payment system, a platform in which people could buy and sell content or other things, and social media. That gets turned into PayPal. He gets kicked out. He told me early in April when he was just deciding to buy Twitter, he said, this will help fulfill my vision of X.com. It'll be more than just a chit-chat site. You're right, too. There's a lot of data there. That was almost what we in Louisiana call lanyap, something extra that came with it. Also, there were times, especially late at night when he was in dark moods, that he was so worked up about the woke mind culture and he thought Twitter was censoring uh, too many people, especially on the populist right.